0: Hey, if you've got your Bible with you, open to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. Anybody that, that knows me, and if you've ever sat with, into, into counseling with me of any sort or spent much time with me, there usually comes a point where I'll look you straight in the eye and tell you to put your big boy pants on. It's time to act like a man. And that's fun advice to give, you know. But uh, yesterday, I had someone give it to me, and, and I didn't like getting it that way. Sometimes, you know, I was uh, I was talking to uh, Brad uh, Miller uh, from Brad Brad and his family are missionaries down in the Amazon jungle. Uh, they're ministering to some indigenous <clears throat> tribes down there. They actually go live among them. And I was talking to Brad, and we were exchanging prayer requests because our church prays for him and his family on Sunday night. And and one of the requests I said to him, I said, you know, hey Brad, I'm teaching a men's conference, and I'm I'm teaching all four sessions, and you know, I've never taught four sessions in a day before. You know, usually one or two messages, and, you know, four is a lot. And, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't tell me to put my big boy pants on, but, but he might as well have said it. You know, he said something to the effect of, well, at least you're prepared, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, I'm prepared. And he said, well, at least you're prepared. When I go into the jungle, I never know what they're going to ask. He goes, I, I, I prepare a message or two, and then they want to sit all day and all night and talk. He goes, So I'll sometimes teach, you know, all, all day long, you know. And uh, I, in a sense, he said, put your big boy pants on. You know, the Lord's giving you something to do, and, and go do it. Um, so as I said, you know, we're going to be in, in 1 Samuel 17. The conference is going to focus around David and Goliath. Uh, it's, uh, it's a battle that takes place. Most of you already know the story. Most of you know who wins. I don't have to worry about ruining it for you. Uh, but what you're going to find out, there's a lot of things that we can learn in our lives from that battle and from the life of David that we're going to be to be able to apply to our life. Because as men, we face many challenges in life, don't we? There's all different kinds of challenges. We face temptations, we face struggles, we face difficulties. We face different Goliaths in our life. And the, it's not always sin. You know, sometimes we always equate that to a battle with sin. It's not always a battle with sin. It can, be, it can be sinful, it can be anger, it can be lust, it can be pornography, it can be addictions, it can be, you know, chemical addictions, drugs, alcohol, gambling, uh, food addictions, all those kinds of things, but they're not always sin. Sometimes the battles that we face are, are anxiety. Sometimes they're depression. Sometimes there's a difficult situation, illness or disease, discouragement, Maybe there's relationship problems or or even a lack of a relationship problem, loneliness sometimes, whatever, whatever it is, singleness, sleeplessness. Maybe it's just that's the battle that you're facing right now. Maybe you've been through that where you can't sleep for long periods of time and you struggle with it or bad dreams or whatever it is. All of these things, I think, as we study through David and Goliath, we're going to be able to see some ways to cope with that. And I got to tell you, the first three messages, the first two this morning and the first one this afternoon, are all going to be looking at David and Goliath, but it's the fourth one that's probably the most important I'm going to teach today because that shows us our victory is in Christ that he is our David. He defeated Goliath on our behalf. So if you can only be here for one or you have to leave or whatever, don't miss the last message because it's probably the most important. We're going to get a lot of practical advice from David and Goliath, but it's in Christ we get our victory. So that's the part we really can't forget. So the purpose of this conference is to give us the tools we need to be victorious in the battles that we're going to face throughout life. And as we know, Goliath wasn't David's first battle in life and it certainly wasn't the last one some of the battles uh, he won some of the battles he lost but we ultimately know he became the king of Israel but more importantly and I think it's something that as a Christian we should all desire we should desire to have his title and I don't mean king I mean a man after God's own heart I mean we as Christian men need to be men men after God's own car heart what does God have for me What does God have for my life? What is there? I can do all the good in the world, but if I don't know Christ, what good have I really done? I can solve all kinds of problems, get Nobel Peace Prizes, but if I don't have Christ as my Savior, if I haven't stored it up in eternity, what have I really accomplished? A title, an award, a trophy, some financial gain? That's all going to perish. As men, we need to be men after God's own hearts. And I believe looking today at First Samuel 17, we're going to learn how to face those battles and we're going to be able to take those principles away. We're going to take David's battle plan. We're going to see his success strategy. And we're going to be able to apply them to our lives to get victory over the very giants that we may face day to day. And if you haven't noticed, when you get victory over one, there's always another one standing there, isn't there? There's always one coming behind it. As a new Christian, I thought, well, if I could just get victory over these few things in my life, well, then God would be lucky to have me. Oh, but then God continues showing me where I needed victory. And it was one after another after another. But he is faithful. It's important to remember that our life, if you want to classify it as a war, it's not made up of a single battle. It's not just one. You're, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not just one. You're going to face many of them. So in these four sessions today, I want to give the information that we need to be successful. And I want you to know it's coming from the scriptures. I'm not pulling from psychology or or psychiatry or modern thinking. We're going to study the scriptures together. I believe in expositional teaching, we teach through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're going to see as we look at the life of David some very, very important thing. But here's what you need to understand. Your victory is already guaranteed if you are in Christ Jesus. It's already guaranteed. So we need to understand, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. We're already victorious. And as we face these battles, yes, they're going to face us. But if I fail in a battle, I don't lose a victory. I just have to get back up and keep fighting. We're victorious in Christ Jesus. That's what we need to remember. And in Philippians 1 6, he said, Be confident, being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, or until the day of Jesus Christ. So the work's begun in the life of a believer, he promises to finish the work. We just have to do our part and be faithful and be obedient to him. That's one of my favorite verses. Because every time I mess up, every time I fall short, I think, Lord, I can't do this. Why did you pick me? What's Because I'm not done with you yet. I'm still shaping you. I'm still molding you. I'm still teaching you to be more like me. Yeah, but you're the pastor. You should already have that down. Oh, no. Don't think for a moment that I'm any different than any of you guys. And the pastors that are here will tell you all the same thing. It doesn't matter if they wear a robe or don't wear a robe. All of us are human beings. We're all men. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all face the same temptations and the struggles with our flesh. It may manifest itself in different ways in different people's lives, but it's still the flesh that we have to face every day. And if we're not faithful, if we're not careful, we can fail. But I also have to warn you of something. As we study through these scriptures this morning and today, I can't do it for you. I can't fight your battle for you. I can't come out and tell you to say no to your flesh. Nobody can do it for you. I can give you the biblical information. I can give you the scriptures and the weapons that you need to fight the battle. But you need to be obedient to the work the Lord's calling you to do. It's between you and him. Not between you and your pastor and him or me and you and him. It's between you and him. Oftentimes guys say, I need an accountability partner. I said, you've got one. Who? The Lord Jesus Christ will hold you more accountable than I ever can. The Holy Spirit is better ministering to you because you can lie to me, but you can't lie to him. You want to be accountable? You can come in here and tell me, uh, how was your week? It was great. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, it wasn't. You know, you know what you did. You know what you said. And I'm going, great, fantastic. You're doing great, man. Keep it up. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, you're not. You see, he's the one that will hold you accountable. He's the one that we're responsible to. It doesn't matter what the pastor thinks of you or what your friends think of you. It matters, what does the Lord think of me? When I lay my head on the pillow at night, have I been faithful to him today? If not, I repent. And tomorrow's a new day. Isn't that a cool thing that he gives us? We're not going to win every battle. And just because we lose a battle, we do not surrender and quit. We do not quit and give up and go, oh, well, I guess I just wasn't cut out for this. If God wanted me to have victory, then He'd take away my desire. That's not the way that it works. That's not how it works. We don't quit, we don't give up. Many battles will be lost in your pursuit of victory. It's going to happen. It's life. In a war, not every battle is won. Not everybody, not every ba- single battle is won. And our mindset, Is not this battle. Our mindset is eternity. Eternity. The things that we're doing here, the things that we're winning here, the things that we accomplish here matter in eternity. That's the that's where we're seeking to get, not just here on this earth. Now let's pray and and take a look at first Samuel 17. Lord Jesus, you've given us your word, your scriptures, the book to tell us and to teach us by. And as we look at this story, as some people would even say it's It didn't happen. Lord, we know that there's hidden truths in there. We know there's gems for us to pull out and to live by. Lord, I just pray that as we open up your word this morning, we would also open up our hearts to bow our hearts before you to see, is there a battle that we're facing? Did we come in here fighting? Lord, may you teach us and show us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow along with me as I read the first 11 verses there, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about them. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. They were gathered at Succa, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Succah and Ezekiah in ephes Dimin, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with the valley in between them. And a champion, a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants but if I prevail against him and kill him then he shall be then you shall be our servants and serve us when the Philistine said I defy the armies of Israel this day give me a man that we may fight together then Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines they were dismayed And greatly afraid. In these first 11 verses, we see there's a battle taking place. The Philistines have come and they've encroached on the Israelites' territory. They're in the land belonging to Judah. The last time they fought, it's not a first time they fought, the last time they fought in 1 Samuel 14, Israel was victorious. But this time, as they're camped there in the valley of Elah, the people, that, the, the Philistines who live on the coast of the Mediterranean around the area of Gaza, which was Gath. Gaza, they're moving in towards the Valley of Ela. Isn't it funny That's still being battled today? Where's all the problems in Israel right now? In the Gaza Strip, right? That was Gath. That's where it was. So as the, as the, as the Philistines are moving into Israeli territory, there's a standoff there in the Elah Valley. You can go to the Elah Valley today. We've been there. There's a mountain on either side right now today. There's a large wheat field in the middle, a big valley that's there. It didn't look like I expected it to the first time I saw it, but it's still there. They're there in the Ayla Valley. And the very first thing I want you to take note of, notice of, there's a battle. There's a battle. You see, some people are surprised when they're, in their life where there's a battle. I, I didn't expect this kind of stuff to happen. Well, somebody told me if I got saved that everything would be okay. Oh, no. It will be okay in the end, but there's going to be some battles along the way. The first thing we notice is there are battles in this life and they are certain you will face them if you're not in one praise the lord but you're coming into one it'll happen it's it's coming down i hate to disappoint you but it's happening maybe you're just getting out of one praise the lord but there'll be another one after that there's there's one coming the battles are certain we will face them until the day we meet the lord face to face when i first got saved i faced these battles that i thought they were on the outside there were things that were obvious. I struggled with uh, pornography. I struggled with using bad language. I, I struggled with, I like to drink. I, wanted to, I, I, don't, I don't think I had a problem. I just liked it. And I didn't want to quit drinking. I struggled with these things. And I had this idea in my mind at one point. And, and for me, the hardest one that I overcame was pornography. I had this idea in my mind. If I could just overcome this, then I would be the model Christian. <laughs> then I would be perfect. Then, then God would be lucky to have me. And I thought, this is great. I can make him. He, he, God, you're lucky that you got me on this one. Just help me get through this one thing. Just help me get. And then, you know what? You overcome it. And you realize, wait a minute. That, that, that wasn't my only problem. I, I was just too blinded by the battle in front of me to see the war going on inside of me. It wasn't the only thing I had to face. And even today, it's one after the other. Every time I like, overcome something with the Lord, you know what he says? Oh, there's something else. I want you to worry about that attitude. I want you to worry about that sarcasm in your life. Oh, look there. You got angry. Why'd you get angry like that? There was no need to get angry there. Why did you say that thing? You you said something you didn't really mean. Why did you do that? You see, as we grow closer to the Lord, we're going to face battles and we're going to receive victories, but I don't know that we're going to be done until we see him face to face. That's when he says the work in us will be done. We'll be ready to meet him face to face whenever that is. And some men look at these things that are going on in a guy's life. They say, well, that's kind of girly, isn't it? Why do you want to be more compassionate? Why do you want to be more caring? Why do you want to be more loving? Those are kind of girly traits. Listen very carefully. Drawing closer to the Lord does not make a man more feminine. It should never make a man more feminine. We are men. We were designed to fight. We were built a certain way by God. It shouldn't make us more feminine that way. God made each of us the way that we are. There will naturally be more men that are more feminine than others, but that has nothing to do with Christianity. That's the way that God made us for the purpose he created us for, for the things that he wants to accomplish in our lives. Personally, I believe that men need to be men. Women shouldn't be running churches. The men should be running churches. Women shouldn't be running families. The men should be leading the families. The women shouldn't be praying before dinner. The men should be praying before dinner. The women shouldn't be driving the, church, the family to church. The men should be bringing the family to the church. And I know that all you guys are here because you want to hear those things and you believe those things. Pray for our brothers that aren't. There's a spiritual leadership that's lacking in the home today. And we have to accomplish that. We have to be men that can lead our homes. So here in the scriptures... There's an overarching enemy here in the Philistines. But there's an immediate enemy. The immediate enemy is who? It's Goliath. It's this champion that's out there. Let's look at him. What do we know about him? Well, we know he was from Gath. Joshua uh, 11, 22 tells us that. He was a large man. We heard about it early in the scripture. Large man. Approximately 8 foot 5 to 9 feet 2 inches tall. Now talk about a basketball career. huh? Large man. And you know what we always hear no that's impossible there's no the largest man in the world is taller than that there's other historical books that talk about giants being seven cubits tall and goliath is only reference to six cubits tall that's about 18 inches as a cubit so you it's it's not the this this is something that his, history documents it's not just some bible folklore that oh it's impossible that somebody could be that tall a large man it, his armor the stuff that he, he was wearing it matched his strength it was big and strong, just like he was. He had a bronze helmet. He had a coat of mail. That's, that's, that's uh, scales, basically. They would make scales to be like a shield. Their bodies from swords or from arrows, and they would hang on their chest or hang on their legs so that they couldn't puncture through them. He had a, he had a coat of, uh, of mail that was made of bronze. Said it weighed 5,000 shekels. It's about 78 pounds, in case you're wondering. 78 pounds of body armor, if you'll think of it that way. It was on his legs as well. The javelin between his shoulders. It's probably a small spear, like a backup spear, or it could have been a shield between his shoulders. Then he, would, he would take a small shield, sling it over his back, and put it across his back. An entire shield coming between his shoulders. His spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us. We don't really know what a weaver's beam in, but to them it was impressive. It was thick. It was, something, it was bigger than average. The spearhead was iron, weighed 600 shekels, 17 pounds. How far do you think you could throw it? That kind of weight. Bible scholars suggest that the total weight of all of his armor, his equipment, everything that he had on, was between 150 and 200 pounds. Think about that. 150 to 200 pounds. How big of a man would it have to be to carry that? Your average military sack is 60, 70 pounds or so. 150 to 200 pounds. Not only would he have to carry it, he'd have to be able to fight in it. He could do battle in it. It was part of what he wore. Who was Israel's enemy here? The Philistines was the overall enemy, but Goliath was the one facing them immediately. You know, Satan works the same way in our life. He's our overall arching enemy, isn't he? He's He's the main enemy, but doesn't he use different things in your life? Doesn't he use different certain circumstances, specific things against you? Sometimes it's desires of your flesh, fears of your flesh, the guilt of your past. Doesn't he use those kinds of things? Anybody ever feel guilty about their past? You don't deserve to be a Christian. You're not worthy to teach the Bible to your wife and family. You don't even know the Bible. Don't teach them. Don't ever teach don't, no, you don't even. You're not qualified to teach a Bible study in your home. Don't believe those lies. Satan works the same way. When we're facing a battle in life, listen very carefully. This is important. You must, you must determine who the enemy is. You must figure out who the enemy is. Who is it that we're fighting? If you don't know who the enemy is, you don't have a chance at winning. You, you don't, if you don't know who the enemy is, who you're fighting, who it is that's trying to overcome you, you're going to be fighting the wrong people. You're fighting the wrong battle. Let me explain it this way. Let's say you're having an argument with your wife. She goes to the mall. She spends too much money. She's done something wrong in your eyes. And the argument breaks out when she gets home because you can't believe she spent all that money. All of a sudden, she becomes the enemy. She's not the enemy. Can I tell you right now, your wife's never the enemy in your life? You, oh no, you don't know my wife. Yeah, I do. I know the Lord and I know the scriptures. Satan is the enemy. And if he will, he will try to use your wife against you. And if you think you're fighting with your wife or your girlfriend or your boss or your neighbor or whoever it is, you're fighting the wrong enemy. You don't even have a shot at victory. You're fighting the wrong battle in that way. Let me give you an example how it works practically in my life. My wife... Hates to throw things away. She always wants to recycle it. She wants to give it away. She wants to. Do, do, she doesn't like to throw it away. It's wasteful. She thinks, which is a good quality to have. And we had these two chairs in our house. This is going. This is just two weeks ago. We had these two chairs in our house, and, and they were tore up pretty bad. I mean, the arms were the, the 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 stuffing's popping out of them. It's kind of sticking out everywhere. And and I said, I'm getting rid of these chairs. And she goes, well What are you going to do with them? I said, I'm going to take them to the dump. She goes, Don't take them to the dump. Somebody somebody needs those chairs. I said, honey, nobody wants these chairs. No, somebody needs these chairs. Honey, nobody wants the chairs. They're going to the door. No, we can't just throw them away. So, being a good husband, I brought them down to the church, put them in front of the church, and I stuck a sign on them that said free. This was on a, uh, I think it was on a Thursday. Well, maybe I do forget what day it was. It was the day before garbage day. So, what was it? it was a on a Monday. Monday morning, I drop it off. Now, Um, um, Monday is kind of like my day off I I try to take Mondays off not always but I figured Monday I have time to drive this to the dump so but I'll put it it's Pennsylvania Avenue somebody's gonna need a chair you know I mean it's it's better than nothing right so I put the free sign on there I call Kevin about five o'clock I said hey are the chairs still there he says yep they're still there I said maybe the garbage men will take them the next day so I come in Tuesday morning and guess what the chairs are still sitting there the garbage is gone But my two chairs are still, nobody wants them. Nobody wants them. So I take a picture of them. And I send them, I text them to my wife. I said, look, even the garbage men don't want these chairs. (laughs) And you know what she says? She says, why don't you bring them home and we'll put them on free cycle. (laughs) Now, I love her because she doesn't want to waste it. I said, honey, I'm not bringing the chairs home. I'm taking them to the dump. Well, just bring them home and I'll put them, I said, listen, if I bring these chairs home, I'm never taking them anywhere again. I said, this is it. I said, I, did, I had time to go to the dump yesterday. I don't have time to go to the dump today. And I was kind of starting to get annoyed. So she goes, well, just bring them. I said, I'm not bringing them home. She goes, fine, do what you want to do with them. So I put them in the back of my truck and I head up to Frostburg to drop them off at the landfill. And guess who's getting annoyed? Guess who's getting aggravated? I'm like. You know, I've got a list, a mile long, it's Tuesday, yesterday was my day off, I had time to go to the dump, I don't have time to go to the dump today, I can't believe it, why didn't she, what's that passage on submit, why didn't she just listen to me when I wanted to take to the dump, and then the Lord knocks on my heart, he says, hey, you're teaching about spiritual battles, you're teaching about fighting the enemy, your wife's not the enemy here, and it clicked, it clicked, I was fighting the wrong battle. I was fighting with my wife. I was annoyed. All she wanted to do was the right thing. She just wanted to bless somebody with something that that she thought was still useful. And I had to realize, you know what? I'm not fighting her. And immediately once I realized, hey, Satan's trying to get us aggravated. Satan's trying to get me mad at her. So this continues on into the afternoon, on into the night, the whole thing. And the minute I realized, hey, she's not your enemy in this, I settled right back down. You know what, Satan? You're not getting that. No, no, you're not coming between me and my wife today. No, that, that's, that's, that, she's been given to me by the Lord. She, she, her and I are one. I'm not letting that happen. I'm not letting that. On the way to that landfill, everything turned the moment I realized who the enemy was in that. You see, I was convinced on the way up there that it was her. And once I realized I am fighting the wrong battle, I was able to put everything into perspective. Once I realized it, my heart immediately changed. Not just my mind. My heart changed. I was fighting the wrong place. I'm not going to give him that control. If you want to be victorious in the battles that you're going to face today, while you're sitting here, even when you leave here, when you get home and your wife says, well, you didn't get anything done today and it's going to rain tomorrow, you got to remember who's the enemy. If you don't know who your enemy is, you can't properly defend yourself and you can't properly attack. You don't even know who you're fighting identify the Goliath that you're facing and then you will know who you're fighting then you can identify the tactics of the enemy and defeat them it makes so much sense doesn't it but if we don't know who we're fighting if we don't get it then we're going to be fighting the wrong battle the apostle Paul understood this for in Ephesians six twelve, I would love to teach this whole section but I don't have time he wrote this For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood, who's that? Our wives, our bosses, our neighbors, our ex wives, our friends, our family. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of the wickedness in the heavenly places. The battle is not against those who are flesh and blood, it's not your wife. Your wife, your boss, whoever it is that you're doing battle with on this earth is not the true enemy. That might be the thing that the enemy's using, but you've got to realize who the enemy is and where you're fighting in the realm that you're fighting in, and then you will be able to find the victory. Who's the enemy? Satan. What does he want to do? He wants to destroy you. He wants to bring you down. And he will use everything he can. And if you don't think that he'll use your wife or your girlfriend or your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your family member against you, you are sadly underestimating your opponent. He is much smarter than you. He knows the Bible better than you. And he will do everything he can to destroy you if you're not careful. Now, let's get back to uh, verse 8. We know battles are certain. We see the importance of identifying the enemy in our life. There in verse 8. Then he stood, this is Goliath there, he stood, he cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me if he's able to fight with me and kill me. I'm sure there was a laugh after that. Then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In looking at this encounter, there's three things that Goliath is doing to the armies of Israel. Three things, intimidation, isolation, and negotiation. He's intimidating them. He's seeking to isolate them, put it all on one man's shoulders. He's seeking to negotiate with them. Intimidation, the definition there is to make timid or fearful. He wants to make them fearful. It's working. He's doing it physically, by his physical stature, and he's also doing it verbally. Physically, Goliath was intimidating. His size was huge, much bigger than everybody else. He was a huge man. His weapons were intimidating, but then he's intimidating verbally also. He's belittling them. He's a man large enough to carry 150 to 200 pounds of equipment and still be able to fight. Notice what he's saying. Why have you bothered to come out to battle? What are you doing here? What are you wasting your time for? This is our land. It might be yours. We're coming to take it. You have no no victory in this. You're scared. Little girls up there. Why have you come out to battle? Why are you wasting your time? Don't you know that I'm a Philistine? a giant and you're just little men you're just little peons you're the little guy remember the scriptures tell us about Saul that he was a head taller than everyone else the king of Israel was a head taller than everyone else he was the giant of Israel if you will but standing next to Goliath he was nothing does the enemy ever verbally intimidate you does he ever try to tell you things why are you wasting your time why are you wasting your time you're not a very good Christian I don't know why you bother going to that church. Everybody there is a much better Christian than you are. You're, you're, you don't really read your Bible. You only, you only pick it up on Sunday. I don't know why you're wasting your time going there. You're just, you're, you're just going to bring everybody else down. Oh, you'll never be able to quit drinking. Oh, you'll never be able to quit doing this. Oh, you'll never be able to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's never going to change. In, in, you. God can't change your marriage. No, he doesn't want to do that. He just, he's just going to, no, no, you're, you're wasting your time. Do You see how they're being intimidated by the giants. Sometimes we're intimidated verbally too by the enemy. These thoughts come into our head. They need to be expelled and replaced with the truth of God's word. We don't listen to what he has to say. He'll verbally intimidate you. Uh, well, if God didn't want you to look at pornography, he wouldn't have given you a desire for that. He'll say things like that. He, he takes the truth and he twists it he adds something to it he takes something away oh god doesn't really want you to teach a bible study to your family because you you don't know enough you will probably just misrepresented anyway so just just be quiet your wife doesn't really want to pray with you you're you're th- th- she doesn't really want to see you change just you she might not like you if you change that's not what that's not what you want Do you think the Israelites should look at Goliath and go oh well I guess we're beaten here let's just give him the land let's just back up you know he's bigger than us I mean let's just go home let's just give in let's be their servants at least we'll be alive that's that's better that's ridiculous sounding that's absolutely ridiculous but along with the intimidation Goliath I want you to see this he's also seeking to isolate somebody he wants to pull him away Give me your best man. Give me your warrior. Give me the one that you think can handle me. Let me isolate them. Pull them away. Right down here in the valley, you and me. Come on, just all of us on one guy. Put it all there. Who is it? Who is it? Any one of you. Come on, send it down. He's looking for isolation. Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. Do you know the enemy seeks to isolate you from the people of God, from the fellowship with God? He wants to pull you away. No, no, you don't have time to go to church on Sunday. It's too nice of a day. There's stuff going on. There's a football game you've got to go see. He wants to isolate you. No, no, you've got, there, there's more important things. And it's not always for something sinful. I've watched, I can't tell you how many Christians I've watched slip, slip away from the Lord for good things. Because all of a sudden they're not in fellowship anymore. They're not in church anymore. They're slipping backwards. I can't make this. I can't make that. I used to serve, but, but I've got this new job going on. And I don't have time. I've got this going on and and I I just don't have time to be there at church anymore and and, and I'm praying for you guys and you watch it. Casting Crowns had a song called A Slow Fade. It's what it is. They slip back and they slip back and they slip. Instead of being fully engaged they're just backing off, backing off, backing off and before you know it they're looking alone. They're all alone going, how did I get here? You got isolated by the enemy. You left the pack. You left the group where 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 you're receiving strength, where you're receiving encouragement. You left. You're on your own there. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't do those things. Nobody else in the church has those kinds of problems, right? These kinds of things. You ever go to church and have an argument with your wife on the way to church? And you walk in like everything's fine? How are you guys? Never. <laughs> hey, how are you guys? Great. We had a great time. And in the middle, you're just screaming on the way. My wife and I don't drive to church together anymore. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> We, we, we have learned the spiritual battles that take place in a marriage before you're going to administer God's word. We can't handle. <laughs> we don't. We drive separately, and we have for years. It just works better that way. It's going to happen. How about when somebody's hurt by the church? Oh, the church hurt me. I don't want anything to do with that church. Any church. They're all the same way. The, the, the pastor said, he told me to put my big boy pants on and to grow up. He told me to act like a man. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted him to put his arm around me and give me a hug and tell me how much he loves me. He does. That's why he told you to grow up and act like a man. It's it's, it's, it's I want this. I want that. And then they're not they're not giving me what I need or what I think I need. It's like come on. The enemy seeks to isolate you from God. He'll tell you things God doesn't want anything to do with you. God can't use you. You're too you're too bad. you you have too much baggage in your past. I mean, after all, it is your fourth marriage. God has no use for you anymore. You, you've blown it. You don't go to church. Just sleep in for the day. You're tired. Get some rest. You worked hard all week. Get a little rest there. You're the only one that has the problem. Do you see how all these things lead to isolation? Do you see the tactic of the enemy? You should know that after leaving here today, if you feel like I'm not going, I'm not plugging in, I'm with, and you start to withdraw, you see somebody withdraw, you walk up and you say, hey, the enemy's trying to isolate you. Don't let it happen. And You know, how, you know the number one way we get isolated today? Here's what I think, is we go to a different church. We find, we find a church and we plug in and the Lord starts doing some things and maybe something comes out and we go, well, uh, I'm gonna go to another church over here. And we don't tell them what happened at the last church. We just go to the other church and oh, praise the Lord, yeah, I'm doing good. And they don't know any better. You've isolated yourself from the people that cared for you and you've just gone off. And by the time these people get to know you, you're gonna go over here. It happens a lot in today's churches. See, we have that luxury of going, there's a church on every corner. I would encourage you, if the Lord works on you, I don't care if it's embarrassing. Stay in the place that God plugged you in and the fellowship that God, he wants to grow you there. And it might be painful sometimes, but that church should love you and care for you and minister to you. And there's even a time where you love somebody so much, you got to kick them out of the house. Matthew 18 talks about that. that that's true, that there's a reason. It's, it's so you can reconcile and bring them back to repentance. Not so you can just get rid of the problem. It's so you can reconcile and bring them to a place of repentance. That church needs to be your family. Let me share with you a few verses about isolation. Proverbs 18:1. "A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise judgment. Ecclesiastes 4:10, "There are two are better than one, because they have good reward for their labor." Verse nine, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up. I don't need anybody to help me up. I'm a man. Yes, you do. There'll come a time in your life where you need help. We can stand on our own so long and eventually we'll crumble under the weight of life because our enemy is so great. He don't forget who he is and what his goal is. His desire is to destroy you. <laughs> he wants to see you crushed away from the Lord. In fact, in Genesis 2.18, what did God say? It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him isolation in this battle will not help you at all. It will only hurt you. I need to get alone for a while, for a while maybe, for a season, to seek the Lord with specific purpose. But if your idea of getting alone is so that you can be alone with yourself and have your little pity party, not happening. That's only isolation. That's only gonna, well, nobody understands me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They care they've been through it. God is in the business of redeeming lives and winning victories it was so cool last night I got to sit around the table we have on Friday nights and you guys are all invited if you don't know we get together we have some coffee it's just fellowship here at the church and we sit around I got to sit around the table with uh, Aaron and uh, and Russ will be here later today and a couple guys and Jordan was there and I'm looking at these guys and and I look and, and we just look just we took a moment we talked about the history how we got saved and what God had done in their lives from jail to drugs to all of these things to all of a sudden now it's like oh we're serving the lord we're we're, we're here together you know and and it, and, it, and one somebody made the comment well church needs to be a hospital where, where sinners can come i said yes it's where sinners can come but we've been redeemed by the blood of jesus christ we're redeemed and god's using people like like us to, to change the world for him how cool is that isolation will never help you get the victory So Goliath is there. Just pick one man. Give me your best warrior. Every man doesn't need to die. Don't you like the rationalization part? Everybody doesn't need to die. Just just give me one. It's better for the church if you leave. It's better if you just slip away. Just give me the one that you think that's going to beat me. And if they beat me, then we'll serve you. What's he doing? He's negotiating. He's negotiating. Come sit at the table. Come negotiate. Just look. It's real simple. I don't want everybody to die in this battle. Just send me your best guy. We'll fight. If we beat, if I beat him, then you guys serve us. If he beats me, then we'll serve you. Let's negotiate on this. Let's let's, let's get a little let's sit at the negotiation table. Listen carefully. There is no room, no room in following Jesus for you to sit at the negotiation table with the enemy. The enemy is already defeated. He's fighting from a place of loss. You're fighting from a place of victory. Why would you ever negotiate your victory away? Why would you ever let somebody rationalize you in that? It doesn't make any sense. Do you remember the negotiation between Satan and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Remember how that negotiation turned out? Let's turn there real quick, Genesis chapter 3. I just want to read it. I'm not going to spend too much time there. Genesis chapter 3. Eve sat at the negotiation table with Satan. Satan. She had no business sitting there. As he said to her, you let's, let's talk about this, Eve. She should have said, no, the Lord has already spoken. But let's look, look, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. He's smarter than you. We need to know this about our enemy. He's cunning, he's wise. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, that's like, Eve, did God God really tell you that you couldn't eat of every tree of the garden? Are you sure? Maybe you misunderstood him. Maybe you're not confident. Maybe maybe he's keeping something good from you. And the woman said to the serpent there in verse 2, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I just want you to know, nowhere in Scripture does the Lord instruct Adam and Eve not to touch the fruit that we know of. He doesn't say don't touch it. He tells them not to eat of it. And if they do, he told them why. Because you're going to die. There's a good reason for this, because you're going to die. And look what verse 4 says. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. She's sitting at the negotiation table with Satan. And what did Satan do? You will not surely die. Die. That's not true. That's not true, Eve. You're not really gonna die. What's he doing? He's calling God a liar. He's calling God a liar. You're not really going to die. Well, what do you mean? She should have got up and laughed. But verse five: For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see the lie? First, he calls God a liar, and he twists the truth. Oh, it's true. When they eat of the fruit, they're going to know good and evil. All right, you're going to be like God. No, that's the part's not true. You're going to, but you are going to know good and evil. God's God, God's keeping something from you, Eve. There's something out there that's really better, and God doesn't want you to have it. And she's sitting. She's falling for this at the table. She could have said, No, that's not true. God would never do that. And got up and left. But she doesn't. And we know the story. What happens? Turn back with me to 1 Samuel 17. She eats of the fruit, gives it to Adam. The fall of man brings death and sin into the world forever for which Christ came to redeem us. Look at verse 11 there in 1 Samuel 17. As Goliath is doing these things, I want you to see the effect that this intimidation is having on the army of Israel. There in verse 11. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistines, it says they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. The d- word dismayed means to be shattered. It means literally filled with terror. These are the people of God. They're filled with terror at the giant standing in the valley. This was Goliath's exact intention. This is what he wanted to do. He wanted to intimidate him. The reason he came out and paraded in front of them. In all of his equipment, and all of his equipment, car- look how great I am. Look how strong I am. Look what I can accomplish. You can't stand against me. In any contest, any competition, whether it's on the football field or the baseball field, if you can demoralize your opponent and strike fear in their heart, you're one step closer to victory because they won't even come out to play right. You ever watch that? You ever compete in a sport and watch the team that was beaten before they got on the field because they thought the other team was better? No, they, we can't beat them. It used to drive me nuts when I'd coach something. What do you mean you can't beat them? Go out there with the expectation to win. You see, they're looking at their physical circumstance. They're much better than us. They're more powerful than us. They're more stronger than us. And they come to the battle with fear and apprehension. How many Christians won't even do battle with Satan because they're dismayed? How many Christians don't even, they just give in to the battle? Uh, and, And here's how it goes. That's the way God made me. That's, that's the way God made me. That's just, that's just the way I am. I guess God understands. And God's saying, no, I want to give you victory. I want to show you my power. Yes, you don't have the strength, but I do. And if you'll walk in victory, and they go, no, no, I can't beat that. No, I guess I can't get off drugs. No, I guess, I guess I'm always just going to be nothing. I guess I'm not going to make it. I guess I can't do it. How many Christians will not do battle with the enemy because they're dismayed and greatly afraid? An entire army an entire nation. in name Israel means governed by God. And I want to show you going forward, they have taken their focus off of their God and they put it on, their, on the giant standing before him. As Christians, we can do the same thing if we're not careful. We can take our focus off of our God and put on our circumstance and we'll find ourselves greatly in fear and greatly dismayed, literally shaking like they are. Let's take a break from there here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to pray. I'll close this in prayer. I want you to take a few minutes. If you want to read through the scriptures, if you want to kind of jot some notes down, uh, we're going to go back, have some snacks and things like that. We're to, we have nice long breaks built in. I think we've got uh, almost 45, 45 minutes for the next break. Uh, so I want, I want fellowship as a part of this conference. I want you guys to hang around, get to know each other, enjoy the food. So you don't, what I'm saying is you don't have to rush back there. There's plenty of food. Take a moment or two and pray. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you this morning. Maybe he's showing you there's something in your life that needs to change. Maybe you don't even know Christ. Maybe you've never, you've been away. I don't know the circumstance. I don't know the situation with your life. But if you need to know Christ today, make that be the day where you say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I didn't realize I could be victorious in these battles in life. I didn't realize that. And maybe the Lord's, maybe you've been doing a battle and you've been focusing on the wrong enemy. Maybe it's been your wife or your job or your career or the circle, whatever. You need to refocus yourself. So take a moment. Seek the Lord quietly for a couple of minutes. When you're done, come on back. Those that are done early, we'll be back there and just just fellowship with us. So let's pray. Father, as we even start this section of Scripture, the truths that you've pointed out are so clear and so necessary. The fact that there is a battle in life. It's certain. We're going to face them. And Lord, the fact that we need to properly identify our enemy, to know who we're fighting against. Otherwise, we can be tricked into thinking flesh and blood as our enemy. And Lord, we don't want to be greatly dismayed. We don't want to be intimidated. We don't want to be isolated. And we certainly don't want to sit at the negotiation table of Satan. Lord, if we've been there, if we're there now, would you convict our hearts and we repent and come back to you? I just pray for the rest of this conference that you would continue working in our lives. And as men, we seek you individually for a few minutes before we enjoy The treats. May you just minister to us right where we're at. In Jesus' name.